0: So, um, right, thanks uh, for coming. Thanks for the organizers of uh, allowing me this opportunity to, to debate these issues with you. Um, so, neither God nor nature, ni Dieu ni nature, could the, the doping sinner be an exam- exemplar of humanist dignity. What I'm trying to do is see just how far we can push uh, not only doping permissive uh, lines of reasoning you know, we might start from there, but, you know, how far we can push these on to maybe full-blown uh, laudations of uh, of doping in sports, specifically. And just as a, uh, you know, first uh, little primer, oddly enough, we do seem to find it a very wholesome message to, you know, to send to our kids, like, at least, you know, the old cartoons here, so we have Asterix with the Druid potion, we have Popeye with a spinach, and there's even fantastic Popeye cartoons out there where he uh, is in the Olympics and he cheats Hercules by just being whacked to the floor. But then he uh, calls on the gods of Spinacio uh, secretly. You know he takes he he pops his uh, doping and you know Popeye Dopeye, What's the difference? Right? So here's where I'm coming from. So I'm now in the final year uh, of my PhD, uh, and the whole. Uh, basis of, 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 of these four years uh, has been uh, a search uh, for the sense and nonsense of you know living in accordance with one's nature or the sense and nonsense of fundamentally altering that and you know as also in the in the discussion uh, yesterday of course that gears you uh, directly towards a you know a, a further discussion of fairness and unfairness of uh, you know uh what uh, you can uh, like, uh, allow demand and give to people in accordance to their natural traits and abilities or their unnatural traits and abilities so those are a couple of the things that are already out there in accordance with the new uh publication regime that's sweeping across flanders so uh before the phd like we are formally obliged to have four publications so i'm not very happy about all the things i have written in there because it maybe it was a bit too premature but uh, so, it would be great to have some criticism. Um, so yeah, uh, neither God nor nature. I guess um, it uh, ultimately uh, uh, connects to uh, this Freethinker's Creed, the basic Freethinker's Creed that ultimately uh, for you know, deciding on how we should live and also for deciding on how we should uh, structure a just and fair uh, societal scheme, uh, we should not at all uh, try to use you know, some kind of divine setup or the natural status quo as a crux. Um, so, uh, oddly enough, uh, I've uh, chanced upon this little uh, ephemeral uh, uh, publication in Kansas from the late 19th century where also these uh, anarchist free thinkers uh, actually named their uh, publication Fair Play. Uh, so, that, that kind of connects into the sports discussion. Um, now, uh, further, you know, if, if we if we go into the 20th century, I think uh, this can also serve as, as, a, as a good starting point for the uh, discussion I'm, I'm trying to add to. Um, so I would say that uh, you know, uh, in uh, a reaction to uh, what uh, uh, Michael Dunlop Young has proposed, that uh, you know, a meritocratic structure of uh, of society. Uh, ultimately is um, blatantly uh, problematic uh, oddly enough uh, uh, Young coined the term meritocracy as a scathing as satire uh, but apparently the irony was lost on Blair so he wrote this op-ed piece in the Guardian uh, mid-90s to just uh, set things straight and say you know he was never meaning uh, for Labour labor to adopt these policies right? because uh, ultimately what meritocracy seems to boil down to is this equivocation of uh, lack of or the, the presence of potential and performance with uh, the lack of or, or uh, presence of uh, merit and moral worth. Uh, ultimately, it is for some reason uh, deciding, uh, c- you know, coming to the, c- uh, to the conclusion that uh, those who have uh, talent and all the fruits that spa- spawn there, uh, therefrom Uh, have a, you know, that's all fair and good Uh, even more so, you know, those with talents those who just happen to possess some kind of traits deemed good uh, can be lauded as uh, people of uh, great worth uh, and great merit now let's apply this to doping so uh, ultimately the doping debate is very muddled uh, and uh, I think quite sloppy so here's a working definition uh, to start off with So doping, uh, and you could broaden it up to uh, enhancement in general, enhancement enabling intervention, uh, can be construed as an alteration of a default aspect of one's body via the introduction of an exogenous substance or device within or Mm -hmm. upon the body, which enables the attainment of a capacity or trait quality up to a level beyond normal health. And then you get these three levels, right? So we got... Bypassing doping, uh, where you could have also uh, achieved uh, these abilities and those performances uh, by using more conventional means. You've got uh, individual transgressing doping, where you know in your particular case, really if you had just uh, applied all the possible enabling circumstance, you'd never uh, get there. So uh, doping really gives you the extra edge. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, you've got this uh, uh, perhaps most radical kind of um, uh, doping and enhancement where you seem to uh, transgress species boundaries so uh, classic examples thereof you know the, the you know the way i i, I use uh, species here can can be debated that that'd be interesting to pursue that point further uh, but like intuitive examples would include for instance bodybuilders uh, who uh, attain a kind of musculature that is just you know uh, impossible to to find uh, out there uh, were it not for these uh, doping interventions. So you'll f- you'll find that uh, in that uh, working definition, there was a lot of filtering uh, preceding that. Uh, so I think it's a really useful and, and and robust definition because one thing's for sure that uh, in many descriptions and definitions given of doping, uh, a lot of uh, muck is put in there. That you know conceptually shouldn't be in there at all. So here's a brief list I'll go through. First, health risks. Uh, it's not at all obvious that doping would be uh, a health hazard or a, or another kind of a risk, uh, because you know you could have risk neutral or risk diminishing doping. You could have all kinds of doping uh, that would you know in analogy to for instance uh, a vaccination. Would also just make the body more robust, more uh, capable to withstand severe pressure and and such. An example of which w- w- would be Tommy John surgery performed in uh, in baseball, which uh, strengthens the, uh, the 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 arm uh, for pitching and uh, and batting uh, you know, lifestyles to be more resilient to possible uh, uh, possible damage occurring in their practice. Uh, Second argument, you know, uh, if you want to talk about health, well, you know, take the standard of health you have in sports, which is uh, quite ludicrously low. You know, we allow people to just whiz off mountains at you know, uh, 60 kilometers an hour uh, with potentially little uh, uh, effect. So if that's your standard, you know, there's a lot of uh, doping that can go under the bridge, right? Uh, is it unfair or forbidden? There again, you know, uh, you could just have have fairness enhancing doping uh, i'll just skip this discussion uh, but we could have it afterwards it needn't be artificial no? we had asterix oblique so you have beetroot which apparently also get uh, when you know administered in the uh, proper way uh, would uh, have a very beneficial effect and also you could say an enhancing effect and you know, if you really administer it in the uh, in a medically precise way uh, it would be you know in a very natural enhancement It needn't be pharmaceutical, that's also, you know, uh, extracted from the definition. So you could have surgery, you could have prosthesis, you could have uh, internal reactions to external devices. Uh, And there's practical examples. This is not just, you know, idle theory. Uh, And even if it was theory, it wouldn't be idle. uh, So you could point to LASIK, eye surgery, giving people, you know, uh, possibly... a, uh, a form of uh, sharp vision that uh, you would also not find in normal human variation. Um, that's uh, Tiger Woods who underwent that uh, and many other golfers. You've got this ulnar collateral ligament repair, Tommy John surgery. You'd see that with a lot of uh, pitchers and sluggers. You'd see the scars. Uh, cheetah blades, in a sense, you could also you know, uh, uh, construe this as a form of enhancement and in the case of Oscar Pistorius, maybe some kind of uh, beautifully Christian uh, and the last will become first uh, parable where there's a kind of leapfrog technology that gets you just in one go from therapy to species transgressing uh, performance enhancement right? so uh, that seems to be you know, also we can link that into fairness discussions and emancipation discussions in, in all kinds of interesting ways hypoxic tense, that's another one so also, you know, is it deceitful? That's often also logged in there in the, in the definition. Well, it needn't be. You know, you could just be uh, fully open about the regime you're taking. I think the Bolton Rangers uh, did that in the 40s. Uh, they were pulverizing monkey glands uh, and, and mixing that in their soups or what have you. Uh, and they were very public about it. They were boasting about their monkey gland business, right? And, you know, everybody could go and have some monkey gland. And then, and then you'll see uh, who's the best. You know, all, everybody hepped up on uh, monkey gland balls so uh, another uh, rebuttal would be that it's a key element to sport that you uh, show cunning that you show strategy there's a beautiful parable a tale of negative gravity uh, it's a kid's story from the 19th century I forget the, forget the author where there's this uh, very you know, weak and fragile guy but he is uh, uh, inventive and industrious and he makes this rucksack uh, and you can switch a little knob, and gravity becomes It weighs you down less. So that guy then is taunted by this big alpinist, like this muscular, very talented guy. He says, okay, we'll see about that, we'll go and uh, scale the mountain. And the guy with the rucksack, you know, he just frolics to the top, and the alpinist is completely you know, befuddled and, and, and frustrated. And then afterwards, the, the inventor guy goes back to his wife. She's worried that it may have been unfair. He says, well, no, you know, uh, he was able to draw on, you know, enabling circumstance that he found to be present. Namely, you know, his talent, his musculature. I don't have that. So I took another route. And it was just an interesting uh, competition between us, right? So no problem there. And that's also, you know, it's, it's, it's just sport is replete of that. Have a basketball squad, you know, storm up the field. Uh, you know, they they'll make the, the strategy sign. Uh, a whole uh, interesting choreography, completely uh, unknown to the opponents, will unfold. All kinds of blocking and, and and switching and such. You know, nobody wants to stop the game and say, "Oh, you know, we need to see the rule book here." You know, you're, this is this is not fair. You've got all these uh, you know uh, deceitful pre-preparations and and uh, ways of, you know, going about your basketball performance that, you know, we, sh- we should get to see all of this. So, you know, either it's not deceitful at all or deceit is not a problem. It's the point of sports in part, to show cunning. Uh, effortless, fleeting. Uh, also, I think, you know, I chucked it out there and we'll uh, talk about that in a brief while. So now, <coughs> doping, right? And this anti-doping uh, uh, morality which uh, you know is sweeping across the globe and uh, is deeply entrenched and uh, has uh, now also spawned a very intrusive and to some you know, legal scholars and 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 people who really know the nitty-gritty details of this uh, policy uh, there's this policing regime uh, which uh, submits athletes to unseen uh, levels of uh, surveillance of intrusive uh, 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 how do you say uh, comprom- compromises of uh, of privacy, uh, and ultimately, you know, it's based on this very small uh, little uh, uh, spirit, you know, spirit of sport, uh, expressing uh, which is one that, for instance, Thomas Murray, uh, but also uh, Michael Sandel, uh, Dick Pound, and many others. Uh, would adhere to. There seems to be a consensus that the whole point of anti-doping, you know, is uh, just these five little worlds. We want to have sport reflecting the virtuous perfection, perfecting, uh, of natural talent. Now, here's the way I I uh, I want to, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, probe uh, this uh, this argument. And I think ultimately uh, it'll be full dismantlement. I don't <coughs> think anything. Uh, remains. So this is like the common sense anti-doping morality. Right? So you want your origins to be uh, that of natural talent. You want your process to be mm-hmm. that of virtuous, effortful agency, and you want your outcomes to be uh, kind of approximating perfection. And doping is, you know, threefold, just uh, three times uh, completely unacceptable for the origins being not natural talent but human volition. The process is not being virtuous, af- effortful agency, but supposedly. Uh, this vice-riddled uh, external uh, agency uh, there's there's an other agent doing the work for you or there's non-agency uh, you're not doing the work It's just you're an automaton and then uh, the outcomes would not at all be some kind of perfected uh, uh, you know, human nature a noble display of, of human nature but it would be some transgressive odd figure uh, outside of that uh, demarcated uh, species zone. So, so, you know, sharing the commitment to virtue uh, ethics in sports uh, profoundly so, you know, but why, why then add talent and perfection? Uh, so my counter-proposal would be, instead of trying to pin uh, virtue sports on the virtuous perfection of natural talent, uh, we should maybe pin it on this alternative, the virtuous exploration of bodily virtuosity, right? A playful existence where you just consider your biology as an, as an open system and responsibly so try to engage uh, in this uh, exploratory quest of of bodily virtuosity. So proper outcomes, Uh, blurring the blueprint. If you look at what Pierre de Coubertin, who founded the modern Olympics, was thinking about, and you'll actually find very uh, unsettling uh, foundational texts. You've got this uh, text, um, I think it's called uh, The Foundations of, of Olympic Thought. In which uh, he has a couple of headings that, that mask nothing. Right? First one is a religion. Second is an elite. And then he goes on to say the whole point of our business here is trying to uh, uh, realize this purification. You know, 19th century, there was this you know a quest ahead of you know a more methodic, rational uh, organization of, of of human existence. So. We, we can purify a lot of muck and circumstance and such we can have a, more, a much better scouting regime uh, training regime uh, stimulating regime and such uh, that we can really get at what the purified perfected humanity it would look like and that was the point and it was it an was uh, outspokenly religious drive you can find that throughout later uh, uh, presidents of the IOC uh, religion is just around the corner uh, maybe not Jacques Rogge, but uh, ultimately uh, it seems to be implied. Um, now, you know, basic rebuttal. won't get, get into it here. You know, these blueprints uh, just, you know, as a matter of fact, do not exist. Uh, as a good, you know, sober evolutionist, it's plain to see. Uh, and even if they would exist, uh, you know, there would be no meaning, no more word to be extracted uh, therefrom. So, second uh, argument would be okay. So, we may take it down a notch, away from this uh, idealized uh, quasi-religious conception that there is this template of humanity which we should adhere to and bring to the fore, Uh, well, uh, you could uh, uh, tie that down a notch and uh, say, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. about uh, trying to uh, lessen or maybe even fully ban this uh, onset of all kinds of repugnant, deformed uh, ways of of be, of being uh, embodied and uh, so we, we don 't want to see these freaks right, in a sense well you know the, as a communi- uh, individual and communitarian value all you know, well and good, but ultimately uh, it 's uh, i think uh, quite straightforward that this could easily turn into an oppressive uh, norm of normality, naturalness, or taste. Uh, interesting irony because you know mostly people tend to criticize dopamine bec- or for instance take a- aesthetic surgery for being this uh, oppressive norm of you know, uh, perfection uh, which leaves no uh, leeway for uh, human diversity well you know in uh, a sense you can just have that boomerang right back uh, at those who would uh, try to uh, uh, impose some kind of oppressive norm of normality naturalness or good taste Uh, Second reply would be that, you know, there seems to be also a legitimate interest in the creative exploration of all forms of deformity. You know, I think ultimately, you know, the way people uh, twist and twerk their bodies and such in in very uncommon and and odd ways, uh, in all kinds of aesthetic displays, sports, dance, uh, acrobacy and such. You know, if you look at this uh, snake woman there, she, she even has her hands on her knees, it's a beautiful thing, in a sense, you know, it's very interesting, you know, and uh, to engage in these kinds of explorations of possibly uncanny, but uh, interesting, you know, new reconfigurations of human existence, you know, so that's what art uh, and, and uh, you know, an aesthetic uh, progressive project is all about, so, you know, it needn't be repugnant at all. And, uh, and ultimately, this is an argument that Darian Meacham has made in the, in the, in the book we published, that uh, you could even uh, scale that down a further notch and say, you know, it's all about just this loss of (coughs) communitarian footing. You know, if we have these athletes doping and becoming, you know, a a differently-natured being, you know, it's just we, we won't manage to have everybody compete in the same practice because they would be doing different things. Take Oscar Pistorius, he's not running, he's blading, right? He's doing something different. That's an argument often used. You can make that argument work to some extent, but ultimately it also breaks down because if you if you look at you know one of the one of the salient features that the, uh, I think it was uh, Professor Walter F- uh, Fraley um, presented you know, what what makes a good sport and what's the, what's the whole point of a good athletic competition? It's that just we set up a cer- set of circumstances and have competitors enter it, uh, and then you know the the shot goes off, we press play. And we don't know what's going to happen. So there's this sweet tension of uncertainty of outcome. We really don't have epistemic access beforehand of knowing who's going to win. So as long as you have that, you've got a great game. And maybe in that sense, this was already the best of possible worlds. This was a couple of years ago. It was the Van Damme Memorial in Brussels. You have the uh, prime example of, of, ta- of, of reigning talentocracy. You've got the Borlet twins uh, of Belgium, uh, uh, excellent runners. Uh, Olympic uh, uh, contenders, uh, obviously, you know, well endowed and and, and and reaping the fruits thereof. They came in, I think, uh, first and second, or and Pistorius came in third. That was a beautiful stage. I think that just goes to show that, you know, if you take that argument that you need some kind of communitarian footing to have a meaningful uh, social practice, no, you can have completely differently natured entities. Uh, taking uh, part in a certain game if there's this sweet uncertainty of outcome in Wales there's even a man versus horse race right? because if you uh, race uh, at a certain length you know it 's a common evolutionary advantage of homo sapiens that we can just out jog a lot of you know less uh, intelligent and also less uh, uh, you know, uh, less adapted uh, uh, creatures to you know, to that kind of practice of just slowly pursuing uh, and, and you know uh, checking the, the trails and, and uh, pursuing again so uh, it's also interesting to have man compete against horse under c- certain conditions where it's also uncertain who's going to win like in that competition sometimes man wins against horse that's interesting so then we go on to proper processes right There's, uh, this, uh, this idea that you become a non-agent you become a dud um, well I don't think that necessarily is the case uh, when you dope, not at all. Uh, quite the contrary. If you look at this interesting documentary, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, I think it won some Sundance Festival prizes. Uh, you've got Simmons, one of the gurus of not uh, weightlifting, but powerlifting. Uh, that's weightlifting where everybody's okay with doping. Uh, and so we got the, the, one of these gurus there, Simmons, saying, you know, the people who train with anabolic steroids, they train way harder than the people who don't. And a man has just an objectively true point because what steroids do is not at all, you know, make muscle growth uh, happen spontaneously. Like you don't inject some kind of, you know, muscle-generating agent. You know, it takes away, uh, it reduces your fatigue and it uh, enables you, if you really have, you know, the stomach for it and, and the, the willpower for it, it enables you to shorten the length of rest between uh, all kinds of fits and bouts of extreme exertion so these meatheads right, these power lifters that's what they do they take uh, steroids so that they could be investing much more effort than uh, they, they would be able to do when they didn't have the steroids so there you go that's I think off the table that argument then the second one is baseline lifting doping uh, also a fantastic fantastic book on, on, the, on, the, on the realities of, of doping practice uh, in, uh, in the US postal team in the in the doping-infested era, and we we supposedly have that behind us now, uh, in, in uh, cycling, well, uh, in a sense, even if doping would, and you could say that APO, perhaps you know, uh, and blood transfusions may be doing just that, you know, they just uh, give you a capacity uh, to 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 push on further, um, a capacity, you know. Uh, for the you know obtainment of which you didn't really have to invest effort yourself but then what do you see happening it's not like people would then become slothful you know users and say I can I can I can perform with less effort now that I have you know APO in in my veins Uh, no you know ultimately that's just lifting the baseline and you still got these athletes who will just throw everything they have at trying to maximize performance so you've just lifted the baseline of quite you know Relatively uh, effortless uh, uh, achievement, and people will just add all their all the effort they have to make that go even further. So, uh, well, let's just let's just leave it at that. Um, yeah, well, you could also add like if you then want to critique it, and that's a problem. This overexertion, right? That's also uh, a, a criticism that that's that's sometimes uh, uh, put out there. Well, you know if you really uh, feel uh, that, um, you know, uh, elite sports or even amateur sports is just too high pressure, too overexerting, well then, you know, you could uh, take some uh, kind of doping agents maybe to then you know have you perform at a certain level without having to be so effortful about it. Now then the third argument, that's, uh, you know, I think the, the knockdown argument when it comes to proper processes. Uh, if you... Uh, look at the criticism on doping that you know, it, it tends to or it has the risk uh, it holds the risk that it may uh, bring about performance too easily, too effortlessly you know, that's just the thing we adore in the talented why do we love Usain Bolt right? why do we love Michael Jordan why do we love uh, Lionel Messi we love the guys who make it look easy right? that just adds to our admiration provided that the root of this relatively effort, effortless performance was natural talent. But if the vector goes the other way and the root of effortlessness turns out to be doping, then it suddenly it flip-flops completely. It's horrible for, for some reason. So how to account for this strange flip-flop? I think, ultimately, uh, for that point, we have to uh, delve deeper and see uh, what people are arguing about the proper origins of a performance. Uh, you know, just to cite Cass on this point, and, and to you know, ultimately present his argument uh, politely back to him. You Kass know, is, is all you know, uh, against uh, enhancement in general and doping because you know, he argues that the engaged and energetic being at work, for some reason he adds, of what nature uniquely gave to us, is what we need to treasure and defend. I'm completely on board with that statement. Sincerely so. Like, there, there's value in engaged and energetic uh, involvement uh, you know, with 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 how you live your life and how you realize your performances, uh, but why add what nature uniquely gave us? So then we go to uh, proper origin, right? That 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 might hold the answer. Now, one uh, simple argument. This is an example of uh, Tommy John surgery, uh, where oddly enough, it, it's a tragic tale. This uh, this baseball player. So, but he added the uh, puna pax uh, sapienta, uh, so uh, you know pain pain is pain equals uh, wisdom Uh, where the argument often is you know those who dope they don't don't really go in for the pain they want they take the easy route well we've put that off the table Um, the argument is that um, uh, that uh, doping would ultimately uh, not be as robust uh, as a as a as a a, uh, marker of potential right if Popeye takes his spinach you know, he'll, he'll be fine and good for 10 minutes but after that, you know, ultimately uh, Bluto will just you know, uh, wipe him off the, off, the, off the pitch well, ultimately uh, the argument breaks down because you have all kinds of forms of deeply integrated doping, like this Tommy John surgery it's there, it'll stay there uh, it's uh, you know, as robust as you can, can have it LASIK eye surgery, same thing you know, you'll just have that uh, Hawkeye vision for the rest of your life basically and even so, you know, if you look at the haka, we love haka. You know? The world loves uh, the All Blacks performing haka before they start their rugby game. It's an elaborate display, outlandish display of them prepping themselves up in a state of uh, excitement and of confidence, and then they play the game, right? They really change fundamentally, you know, their whole mindset and emotional setup, and they're really prepping themselves up, temporarily so, to really perform at their peak and also you know, in the offing they're, they're also uh, uh, of course intimidating their, their counterparts but this is everywhere and like you know I take some coffee before I give a presentation just you know uh, f- temporarily you just want to have uh, you want to have uh, a clear view of things you want to you be more concentrated so there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that and even at this you know uh also, replete in sports, uh, basketball game, timeout. The coach yells at you. You know, uh, music uh, uh, music starts playing. The whole point of it is just prepping you for you know, another five minutes of peak performance, and it'll fade away afterwards. You need some uh, extra prepping. So just dope after dope after dope, right? And what's the what's the problem? Second of all, uh, the argument would perhaps deepen that ultimately, if you would manage to deeply integrate. Doping and to really obtain this robust and constant potential to perform at, at a desired level via doping, that may itself be the problem because you would then have uh, completely thwarted and altered and skewed like your original authentic uh, self, which which would then be defined by what you can do on your own, you know, on your own talent and such. That's Dick Pound saying. You know, sports should be a humanistic endeavor to see how far you can go on your own talent. Because that's a kind of revelatory experience. And you can find that in a lot of places. Like when people philosophize on the profound reasons why they sport, why they jog, for instance. Think, uh, you know, if, if it, it'll resound well with, with anybody uh, doing it. One of the main reasons is it just uh, reveals to you, in a sense, you know... Uh, beyond all the talk and beyond all uh, the, the confusion, it just gives you this very clear set of circumstances in which it's just you performing, right? No setup, no su- no uh, no complications, no unclarities, It's just you. It reveals who you are in a sense. It's a revelatory, self-exploratory experience. Well, that may be the case, but uh, you know, authenticity is not just that. Uh, authenticity can also refer to aspirational. Uh, you know, aims, which are authentically yours, and if you happen to be, uh, you know, a, a very uh, scrawny scrawny little boy, but you want to be a great soccer player, and that's truly, you know, the, the core of your identity, if you can go out in the forest and pick a little berry or have a pill uh, sent over from Pfizer that'll just give you the musculature and the build to pursue that authentic uh, uh, aim, well, there you go, that's, that's authenticity and... Uh, you know, if if you want to radicalize the point, this is this is the final phrase of uh, Raymond Tallis, the gerontologist, I believe, uh, writing in Philosophy Now, who who fears the enhancer, saying, you know, hum- human technology is ultimately less alien to us than nature, and we should rejoice in establishing an identity which lies at an ever increasing distance from our authentic nature, and that you know we'll we'll go back to that uh, in uh, the this is the penultimate slide uh, thereabouts. Uh, we'll come back to that in, in, in a few minutes. So, third <laughs> argument uh, on proper origins is that you know uh, the point of sports is seeing who is uh, truly the best. Right? You, you, you get a lot of these uh, kinds of uh, comments, but how how are you going to cash that out? Truly, what do you, what do you mean by truly? And uh, a line of uh, reasoning that Erik Jungst uh, has forcibly uh, advanced, uh, but also Turbentiencio uh, and uh, some others, is in fact that um, the reason why we want natural sports may in fact ultimately boil down to uh, a, quite an animalistic and a bestial uh, you know, drive to have these clarified circumstances in which we can try to probe as clear as possibly for markers of hereditary potential. Right? We wanna see you know, not just like the, 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 the alpha uh, uh, you know, uh, leaders of, of a certain setup, and have some kind of symbolical circumstance in which we can decide you know, who will be uh, on top in, in a social hierarchy. More, even more so, it seems to be really pinned down on uh, hereditariness, because if it was just the first, you know, evolutionary drive uh, for creating social order, you could have that with doping as well. But so we want that out of it, and maybe that's only uh, defensible uh, as you know this this interest in seeing the true natural aristocracy, in seeing who has hereditary potential. Now, that's. Uh, you know, a very ironical point because that would maybe imply that the people who rail against doping and enhancement in general as being this you know, uh, neo-eugenical uh, neo-social Dar- uh, Darwinian uh, project they may have I, th- I think they have a point you know, in, in, in pointing to some excesses of transhumanist thought and uh, which, which would be open to that criticism you know, when people would think that they uh, have to in, uh, uh, use enhancement and, and doping and such to uh, realize evolutionary directives that we must uh, advance, and that you know only the fittest uh, shall survive. And you know that's 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 morality. Then there is legitimate criticism, but it backlashes completely. Um, so you know uh, they might ultimately have uh, below the the sheepskin of moral indignation quite a wolfish. Uh, drive to to be anti-doping, um, yeah. So that's that. Said, uh, ultimately, you know, uh, there you go. But uh, <coughs> final point then: uh, if all you know, the, the, these these nine, I think we had about nine arguments are, are set aside, and we had already set aside, you know, a whole a whole number of them in in sketching that definition. I think one argument remains, and this is, this is the core one, ultimately, where it boils down to, there is this notion that uh, you know, Sandel expresses well, that you know one of the blessings of seeing ourselves as creatures of nature, God of fortune, is that we are not wholly responsible for the way we are. And that's what, you know, it's in a doping-based discussion that, that he makes this point, because <coughs> this kind of you know, self-made man identity in you know beyond fluke doping, beyond phony doping uh uh he is now uh, if, if you know the flu criti- criticism it can be deflected the phony criticism can be deflected a more profound point is this fake um, uh criticism where it seems to be that this self-made man in being fully authentically true to his own you know fundamental life project is ultimately uh negating that you know uh, his the way he was a, a Creature created by, by deeper forces than himself, maybe he has to heed that call as well. Maybe that has some norm- normative pull that he's not, uh, not attuned to. Um, and in that sense, uh, you know, ultimately the risk is if you just accept this existence as completely at liberty to shape yourself in accordance to your own preferences, that creates this very circular uh, self-understanding, right? That there's ultimately no point to life Outside of the point you've just, you know, happen to you know, chance upon uh, yourself, or happen to fabulate for yourself, and that's deeply uh, frustrating and hard to stomach for a lot of people. Uh, for a lot of uh, a number of reasons, it would make you uh, vulnerable to this explosion of responsibilities. You would have to accept that that it's off the table to use as an argument. This is just how I was created. This is just who I am. That's my nature. No, you'll have to give good reasons why, for instance. You know, you're not doing something about the receding hairline or, you know, all these things have become amenable to change. You can't just say, I guess that's just who I am. No, all of that becomes an artifact of your own volition, right? Also, just the maintenance of the status quo may just as much be uh, an enhancement, uh, a pro-default enhancement, uh, as, you know, ha- going for the implants or what have you. And that's what Sandel, I think, is trying to get at. He's trying to present this ethic of creatureliness uh, which hopefully deflects that, and hopefully also de- deflects this vulnerability to this excessive and overly burdensome uh, and aporic, um, you know, range of responsibilities. Uh, ultimately, yeah, I, I think you know such a vulnerable state, such a circular state, uh, is pretty grim. But you know, if that's the way we have to assess ourselves soberly. Then, you know, again, also, uh, uh, just returning to Sandal's uh, <coughs> argument there, we must not remake nature, including human nature, to serve our purposes and satisfy our desires. Right? That's his point. So if he would be uh, proposing, as he does in the top quote there, that we see ourselves as a creature of nature, God of fortune. He's not, he's not coming across the table with an argument. That's, that's a common criticism, uh, and op- many critics just leave it at that. Like, ultimately, you have no reason to. But I think, you know, from an existentialist point of view, uh, there seems to be some bad fate, maybe, uh, driving this. There seems to be this uh, uh, search for an escape from overly uh, perplexing and overly burdensome freedom, and this uh, you know, self-conception, self-deception, May actually be driving it. So he's actually also literally proposing that we just see ourselves as in a leap of faith, and you know, in the classic uh, criticism of religion, as just in a sense a sniff of the old opiate of religion to just you know have existential comfort, to to have a proper uh, you know prefixed creaturely mold by which to live by. Ultimately, the irony is that uh, this kind of proposal may be a kind of radical self manipulation and self transformation that may you know be much more radical than you know the, the literal introduction of some kind of opiate and such uh in 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 your body this is a, a fundamental reframing uh and maybe completely also a, a a severing of ties to reality about you know the, the ultimate reality of your predicament that is a completely undignified way of you know going about uh you know, uh, uh, probing the, the human condition, right? It's, it's fundamentally uh, mani- self-manipulative, maybe and, uh, and false. Uh, same thing goes for us, you know if, the, if we live in such a, tr- uh, a troubling world with this excess responsibility and circularity, you know you're a stronger human being if you then go about trying to uh, you know, become an untroubled soul when the world is troubling. So there you go. Again, this is, you know, doubly goes back to them. And then just uh, I added this because um, uh, what what I want to develop is uh, a positive existential ethic, right? So where does this leave us? And I think a very, very interesting book is uh, The Grasshopper of the philosopher of games, Bernard Suits, where he actually takes the side of the grasshopper against the ants, right? The grasshopper comes knocking, it's snowy, uh, he's about to die because he wasn't preparing, he wasn't working, he was playing around. So the ant opens up, and then there's this uh, interesting, like Socratic dialogue between the grasshopper and the ant. And he turns it completely around. He's actually favoring uh, the the ethic and and the conception of the good life that the grasshopper has, um, because uh, what the grasshopper does in in Bernard Suits view, and I tend to agree with that, is show that if once the work is done, once we come to you know have uh, exceeding amounts of free time and nothing truly instrumental to do with our lives. It will be deeply frustrating for people who like to consider themselves uh, meaningful uh, and instrumental to do some good cause. But, you know, it's a self-defeating argument because if that good cause is reached, ultimately you reach an existence where uh, you have no work to do. You know, you've got free time. All there is to do is play. Uh, Suits argues that, you know, the ants ultimately could not stomach that reality because uh, they needed work they needed to feel useful uh, and that they ultimately completely uh, uh, deceived themselves uh, into thinking that you know, work needs always to be done and the good life revolves around work uh, as also a self-decep- self-deceptive uh, move away from the grasshoppers you know, reflection of the ultimate human condition which is to be fully at liberty to devise for yourself you know, what you are to do with your life Um, at least when work is done so uh, in a sense we may be virtue bound to suffer freedom in a sense Uh, some well-being could could be an offshoot like you you, you could uh, raise your self-esteem maybe pride but that's dubious Uh, of course it would be strange to just then go about doping to just prove this point right of foundationless freedom and ruthless responsibility you know, that would be very odd motive. But, you know, we've come across other motives just as an expression of creativity uh, and of, uh, uh, you know, actively engaging and probing all the things you could do with your existence. I mean, that may be very conducive to happiness in a legitimate way. And uh, so, yeah, there we go. Yeah. It's this uh, expression of... It, full expression of the life of play, which may ultimately be, you know, what human existence is because we do not have this animalistic ultimate like sense of self-evident purpose. It's up to us to devise something. Uh, but, you know, there's also the solace of hedonism. We can just enjoy uh, the good things of, of life. And ultimately, you know, you could still fabulate some kind of uh, crypto-teleological or crypto-creationist self-understanding, but I think only as a coping strategy uh, of moral and existential fictionalism, uh, as, as a brief repose from existential gravitas but not as a, as a full-blown escape from freedom. And there you can just impute the classic criticism of Erich From. Uh, I'll just skip this, but I think ultimately Bozat... Well, I'm not skipping it, I guess. Uh, so, just <laughs> the you know classic Pico, Pico della Mirandola's uh, statement of the dignity of man uh, at root of the humanist existentialist tradition. This is Albrecht Durer's self-portrait, also seen as a, as a very bold, bold turning point of him making this self-portrait in the likeliness of, of Jesus pointing to himself seems to be also uh, this, the, the, this uh, intellectual turn towards uh, a, a self-referential life where it's the human good that counts and where it's also uh, human autonomy and self-legislation and auto-plastic you know, self-creation uh, that, 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 that really shows what uh, fundamentally human life uh, in in its in its deepest depth is is all about, um, and there you go. I think uh, that's why doping could uh, also be completely inscribed in this logic, uh, and as such uh, come to vindicate uh, this f- partly lost uh, uh, you know, semantic of of humanist and existentialist thought of humanist dignity and existentialist authenticity. And it needn't be a radically progressive point. It can all be very conservative. Uh, you could you could completely tie it into in practice. Uh, it could be practically conservative with severe, uh, you know, very elevated uh, levels of risk aversion, uh, a precautionary principle in place, strong paternalism in which you would not just allow anybody to just go about doping if they don't do it in the right way. You, know, you could have this deep humanist ethic uh, Obliged before people can can uh, dope, and it can even be compatible compatible with conceptions of religion, all only not with the most facile pieces. So the irony cuts both ways: yeah? the religion itso- itself, and, and categorical anti-doping may form, be a form of mental doping itself. And also, you know, if you just think about enhancement as as uh, as a kind of cornucopia of all kinds of goods that will come our way: happiness, uh, longevity. Uh, beauty, uh, physical ability and such at the same time it also confronts us uh, with this uh, very vacuous and circular uh, predicament Uh, as we come to obtain practical protean self-shaping capabilities we lose uh, the sense of self-evident drive and I think this really reflects uh, a moral climate that's that's pervasive in, in also contemporary literature like if you look at Jonathan Franzen's freedom, right It's also this scene where he uh, looks upon this warbler and he also... And and the protagonist is, of course, a human wreck, uh, you know, uh, with all kinds of uh, uh, indecision and and trauma and such, uh, you know, that's dragging along with him. He looks at this warbler and he says, uh, you know, in a a drop of a hat, he knew how preferable it was to be the bird. With this uh, assured sense of selfhood and this self-evident propulsion in life... Uh, you know, that, that would be grand for a human, to just have this internal imperative that's always there and that just, you know, directs you in life. Uh, and I think the fundamental absence thereof, you know, defines uh, humanity.